number. It is the week after Thanksgiving, but it is so good to have you all here today. Do we have Bridge Kiss today? Is that right? No? No? Okay, we don't. Just kidding. False alarm. I know that this is the third week that you've seen my face and you're probably sick of me. But just know that this is not the regularly scheduled programming. This was not intended. Uh, I would ask that you you would all please keep the Reddick family in your prayers. They are down in Dallas right now um, because Connie's grandmother passed away uh, just recently and they're <clears throat> they attending her funeral. And so if we could be praying for the Reddicks, for the Shamblesses, that's Connie's uh, maiden name. Just lifting up that family in their time of grief. The Bible tells us to mourn those who mourn. It's going to be a hard time for them, but, but praise God that her grandmother was a believer. She is with the father now and, and with family. <clears throat> Sorry. Well, this week we are starting off a topical series on gospel health. When I say topical series, what I mean is that we're not going to be doing the series the sermons kind of the way that we normally do them. Normally here at the bridge, we like to do what's called expository preaching. We like to go through books of the Bible and take just a passage and just break it down this is the bread and butter of our church body. It's, it's our, our regular workout. But with the new year ahead, Brendan and I wanted to take some time to, to focus on just a handful of, of very specific areas. We wanted to target some core muscle groups so that we as the body of Christ can be further developed and built up into who God wants us to be. Each week we're gonna be looking at just one area where Brendan and I thought that we might be able to put some attention. We're going to be looking at our worship, at our community, at our evangelism, our prayer, all of that. It's going to be kind of a regular maintenance, tune-in, checkup kind of thing. And that'll take us all the way through the rest of the first month of, of this year, um, all the way through January of 2022. Then we'll do Titus, and then we'll be back in Matthew again to finish that all up. But today, to kick off this series, just to start us off, we wanted to start with kind of the, the core of everything. We wanted to start with the question, what is the gospel? What is the gospel? Do you know? Do you know what the gospel is? I want you to really think and sit there and, and, and say, do I know what the gospel is? Because we can, we can take it for granted so often just living in, in, in church, living in Christian circles, the gospel can be something that we kind of swim in, but something that we're not aware of. And yet the gospel is so important. First Corinthians 15 says that the gospel is of first importance. This is, this is the center of our faith. Before, before this word came to, to mean uh, a political group of people or, or, or demographic, evangelical, that word, it meant gospel people. It's a good word. And whenever we do evangelism, where does that word come from? From evangel, from the gospel. It means sharing the gospel, spreading the gospel. What if someone just asked you, came up to you on the street and said, hey, I, I don't know what the gospel is. Could, could you tell me? What would you say? How would you answer them? You know, a lot of us would, would respond and say, well, John 3.16, 
God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. Some of us would, would draw them picture and do the Romans road. You guys know all that one? The, the cross across, the, across the, the chasm. Some of us have been taught in the four spiritual laws or the plan of salvation. And these are all right and good and useful ways of condensing the gospel message down. I've, I've used them myself very handy methods of communicating the gospel in five minutes or less for the purpose of evangelism. But folks, today we have 40 minutes or 30 or however long we have. So I'm going to go a little bit longer. Sometimes I wonder if in using these little five-minute presentations and focusing on these shortened, abridged versions, we sometimes miss the fullness of what the gospel really is. It's the whole story of the Bible. If we make the gospel into just an evangelism tool, just something that we use to to get new converts, we might be unwittingly telling ourselves that the gospel is just for young believers, new believers, non-believers. It's something that, that's the basics, it's simple. It's something that once you get it, you move on from it. But, But that couldn't be further from the truth, Bridge. Yes, the gospel is simple. It's for everyone, both high and low, man and woman, Jew and Gentile, rich and poor. But while the gospel is simple, it's also incredibly deep. It's not bite-sized, it's not tweetable. It's so big that we're actually gonna be chewing on it, meditating on it for an eternity. And so if we're gonna be doing that for an eternity, I thought, why not get a head start today? Why, Why not do a little bit of practice today, just a little bit? So today we're going to unpack the gospel. We're going to know and get to know the thing that is of first importance. To kick us off, I want us to start by looking at another gospel. I'm going to read to you guys a passage, and I don't want you to stand up. I don't want you to cheer or clap. Don't even smile, everybody. Because what I'm about to read is a false gospel. We don't do this a lot at the bridge, but I'm going to read a false gospel. We'll see if I get fired after this. <laughs> and as I read this, I want you to think about how it compares to the real gospel. This is a gospel from the year 9 BC, nine years before Christ. Okay? Caitlin, can we get that up on the screen? It goes like this. Providence, which has ordered all things, and is deeply interested in our life, has set in most perfect order by giving us Augustus, whom she filled with virtue, that he might benefit humankind, sending him as a savior, both for us and for our descendants, that he might end war and arrange all things. And since he, Caesar, by his appearance, excelled even our anticipations, surpassing all previous benefactors and not even leaving to posterity any hope of surpassing what he has done. And since the birthday of the God Augustus was the beginning of the gospel for the world that came by reason of him. Have you guys heard of this before? This is the gospel of Caesar Augustus. They called it a gospel. They believed him to have been sent by a divine goddess, Providence, And they thought that he himself was one of the gods, one of many gods. They said that he was a savior for humankind, that he was supposed to end all wars and to arrange all things. Who was Augustus? He was the grand nephew of Julius Caesar. 
Julius Caesar on his deathbed, he named him as his heir. And what did Caesar do? What did Augustus do? He founded the Roman Empire. He was its first emperor. He ruled from 27 BC to 14 AD. That's the time of Jesus. I don't know if we realize that often enough, that Jesus, when he was born, was born at the beginning of a powerful empire. But this was an empire that did unspeakable evil. They killed and exploited and enslaved. And they committed horrible atrocities and worshiped terrible demons and idols. This is their gospel. What does gospel mean? It means good news, literally good news. And here, the good news is that the king has come. Their gospel is an announcement that Caesar Augustus has come, that the king is reigning, that he's going to put an end to all wars, he's going to bring peace. The gospel we preach is pretty similar, actually. It is an announcement of the king's reign. We also believe that our king will bring peace on earth, but not through oppression and conquest. We also believe that our king will save us, but not from the threat of foreign invaders. We also believe our king to be God, but not simply one of many gods. Now, our king is the one true God, and his kingdom is not of this earth. And he was born not of a high-born family in the capital of an empire, but of a peasant woman a virgin, a Jew in a backwater province of the Roman Empire. Our gospel is about Jesus. More than anything else, our gospel is the gospel of Jesus Christ. More than sin, more than repentance, more than heaven, more than hell, the gospel, the good news is centered on the person and work of Jesus Christ. And so if we're going to ask ourselves today, what is the gospel? we have to ask two main questions. First, who is Jesus? And second, what did Jesus do? Okay, you with me? We're gonna answer each question with several points and full disclosure, we're not going to cover everything because Jesus is more than we could ever fathom, more than we could ever even think about. Folks, this is our main task not just today, but in life. Looking at Jesus and learning who he is and what he's done. This is the core of our gospel. The way we know the gospel, the way we share the gospel before and above any principles or morals or five-step programs, all of it has to be centered on knowing and sharing Jesus Christ. So let's start with our first question. Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? Number one, Jesus is a man. Now, that seems like a really obvious thing. Like, duh, he's a man. He existed like 2,000 years ago. But think about it. Jesus is a man, and that, that, that should shock us. That should surprise us, because he could have been anything else. He could have been an angel. He could have just come as he is, as, 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 as a being in blinding light and deity, who if you even looked at him, you would be annihilated. He could have come as that. But no, he came as a man born of a virgin. That's what we're going to celebrate very soon on Christmas Day, that Jesus came down to us 
and not just, not just to be near us, but to be among us, to be one of us, truly one of us, fully man in union with all humankind. That Jesus Christ has the same kind of blood that we do, the same kind of bones that we do, the same kind of DNA that we do. Many in the world right now are falsely claiming that Christianity is just a Western religion. Throughout history, people have said that it is a Jewish sect. But folks, the story of Jesus applies to everyone because all of us are humans. And Jesus came down as a human. All of us come from one father and mother, Adam and Eve, who God placed in the Garden of Eden to rule this world. Do you guys know that? That all of us are descended from the first king and queen of this earth. That we are descendants of a dishonored, discredited line. We come from royal lineage, all of us. But what happened? Long before our story began, before the story of human beings, there was a war in heaven. We don't know how it happened or why it happened, but Satan and his angels rebelled against God and they lost. But in their defeat, Satan infiltrated the human realm. He came down to the Garden of Eden and he tempted our first grandmother, grandfather, Adam and Eve. He tempted them to disobey God, to call him king. Our forefather, the king, Adam, he surrendered his kingship to Satan. And now all of his children, all of us, we are born in bondage to Satan, bound in lifelong service to him. That when your children, when their first breaths were taken, they had already sworn fealty, sworn loyalty, sworn allegiance to the God of this world, to Satan. And that, that made our whole world a rebel world. Pop quiz, where is Satan's realm? Where does he rule? Who is he the king of? If you watch the cartoons, or if you look at popular culture, you can answer hell. But that's a misconception, actually. Satan is not the king of hell. In fact, hell is going to be a pretty terrible place for Satan. It's going to be his prison. Now, Satan is the unlawful king of this earth. Right now, when we walk around in Wichita, in the United States, in the whole world, going through the streets, going in Walmart, do you realize that you are walking in the realm of Satan? That he is the king of this world. First John 5, 19 tells us that the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. He is the prince of the power of darkness. He is a usurper, a pretender. And make no mistake, God is still king of this earth. Satan is a false king. He only calls himself king. God could have ended all of this right then and there in the Garden of Eden. <clears throat> when Adam and Eve rebelled against God, when Satan came down and deceived them, God could have struck them down with a lightning bolt and said, you know what? End of story. We're starting over. Why didn't that happen? Why? We all deserved it. We deserve the worst punishment. Satan certainly deserved it. His angels, all of fallen humanity, should have gone to hell right then and there. 
So why didn't God do it? Why has there been thousands and thousands of years of human existence since then? The book of Romans tells us, it says this in chapter nine. What if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy, which he's prepared beforehand for glory. God's bearing with Satan. He's enduring with evil, with sin, things that don't please him because he's got a plan. Because before creation ever even existed, God had already formed a plan. He'd chosen to bring about his plan through a specific group of people. Folks, our second point today, while Jesus is a man, he's actually something more specific than just a man. Jesus is an Israelite. Jesus is an Israelite. Who are the Israelites? They were not Westerners. They weren't white. They weren't Chinese. They were of Israel. Israel was God's chosen people. Out of all the evil nations that make up Satan's rebel kingdom, God chose a lowly people an oppressed people, a nation of immigrants and slaves, Israel. Not so that they might go and oppress others, but God chose them so that they might bring blessing to all humankind. Galatians 3 says this, in the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, and you shall all the nations be blessed. Folks, do you realize that? This is part of the gospel. The gospel is, is, extends all the way back. It's not just what happened in Jesus's life. It goes all the way back to Abraham, even. The gospel that in him, in Israel, all nations would be blessed. God was gonna bring his kingdom through them to overthrow Satan's kingdom and, and restore the true kingdom of God through them. He was going to raise up a line out of his king, David, through them. But if you've read the Bible, you know what happens. What happens to Israel? What happens to David's line? They turn again and again and again to sin. They were, they were the chosen ones. They, they were the ones who were supposed to set this all right. But they didn't. They failed. Our only hope was lost. Israel was no better than the rest of humanity. And yet God would bring about his plan nonetheless. He sent his prophets to declare to Israel that even though they had failed, God's plans would not. Even though they had been faithless, God would be faithful. God would keep his promise to Israel, to keep his promise to all of us, to raise up the one true king through the line of David. Romans 1 says this, that God promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son who was descended from David according to the flesh. This is the gospel of God. This whole thing, more than just what's happening in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, this whole story of the Bible is of God's promise, which he kept, his promise to restore his kingdom. Which brings us to our third point, that Jesus is the son of David, the Christ, the king. 
Folks, Christ actually is not Jesus' last name, believe it or not. (laughs) Christ means anointed one or Messiah. It means king. When you see the word Christ in the Bible, I want you to see king. When you see the word Jesus Christ, I want you to think King Jesus. In the time of the exile, for 500 years, many so-called messiahs came, all claiming to be the anointed one, to be God's chosen one, who would deliver Israel and deliver the whole world from its bondage to Satan. But all of them failed. None of them were the true king, but Jesus came as the true king, as the Christ. He was qualified to be king because even though he was truly a man, Jesus was something even more than that. He was also truly God himself. Point number four, Jesus is God. He is the son of God the second person of the Trinity, God himself, which means the gospel is not one of many options. It's the only option, folks, because we believe that there is only one true God, one true creator, and that he himself came in Jesus Christ. Our God was infiltrating rebel territory to bring to an end Satan's rebellion. And while up to this point, everything I've said has been very, very good news. It's incredibly good news that Jesus came to be a better Adam, a better Israel, the one true king, God with us. While all this is good news, if this was all there was to the gospel, if it was just who Jesus is, then folks, we'd actually be in trouble. This wouldn't be very good news for us. Because if Christ's kingdom is here, and if its fullness is coming soon, it means that all who rebel against God face God's wrath and justice. God is replacing the former man with a new mankind. And that, that's bad news for all of the former mankind. It means that Satan and his fallen angels, it means that us, all of us, all the children of Adam face the coming judgment and eternal rule of King Jesus but thankfully the gospel doesn't end here. The gospel isn't just who Jesus is. It's also what Jesus did. So what did Jesus do? First Corinthians 15 says this. Now I remind you brothers of the gospel I preached to you, which you received in which you stand and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. What did Jesus do? He died, was buried, and rose again. These are historical acts that Paul is talking about. This is the gospel. It all hinges on the cross and on the empty tomb. Because in dying and rising again, point number one, Jesus defeated Satan. Jesus destroyed the works of the rebel upstart. He ended an ancient war. Now that should be a crazy statement. 
Because think about it, this is not how we win wars most of the time. You know, like, like when, when Vietnam happened, we didn't send JFK to go die and that didn't win us the war. It's, it's, it, this just isn't how it happens in our world. You don't win by dying. How does that make any sense? You know, if, if, if I were to write the story, it would have been Jesus coming down with a flaming sword and he would have just stabbed Satan in, 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 the, in the head or something. And, and that brings us back to something we've already talked about. Couldn't Jesus have just taken back his world already if this was how he's going to do it? Couldn't God have, have sent his son to go down in the Garden of Eden and just cut that snake's head off? Yes, he could have from day one. But God mercifully chose to do it this way for our sake. Because if God had simply destroyed his enemies right then and there, what would that have meant for us? We often forget that we were not just captives of Satan, we were his allies. We were hostile to God. We weren't, you know, POWs. We, we were holding the machine gun, shooting at God. We were rebel soldiers with blood on our hands. Sin upon sin upon sin, rebellion upon rebellion. What would justice have been? Instant and certain judgment. So how did we escape Satan's fate? How, how did we escape the flaming sword of the Lord? Colossians 2 says this, and you, what did you, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven all of our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood aside against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them. Christ disarmed Satan. He triumphed over him. He put him to open shame and he did it by removing Satan's power, by taking away his only leverage, by freeing those who were being held hostage. How did Jesus do this? By nailing it to the cross. Point number two, Jesus paid our penalty. God sent his son to take on flesh, to be united with us so that in our union with him, Jesus could die for our sins die on behalf of all mankind, taking our penalty by dying in our place as the God-man, as the perfect man. Does that make sense, guys? And through him, through his sacrifice, not only are we spared of our punishment, but we're made right with God. Think about how crazy that is. We who, who were rebel soldiers, people who deserve life sentences, have been made right with God. Look, an exonerated inmate doesn't become best friends with the judge just because he's been exonerated. He doesn't go home after that trial to, to go have like dinner with the judge. That's not what, how it works, but we do. More than being let off the hook, we have become reconciled with God. Colossians 1 says this, and you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Point number three, Jesus 
reconciled us with God. With God, our former enemy. How crazy is that? We've gone from enemy combatants to citizens of the kingdom. Colossians 1 says this, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints of light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us from the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. We lived in the domain of darkness, in the realm of Satan, in the kingdom of evil. And now we are citizens of heaven. Why did God send his son to do this? What motivated him to care for his enemies, us, in this way? It's because even in his wrath against Satan and against sin and against us, God loved us. He loved his creatures and he mercifully chose to show an undeserved grace to those he has chosen. 1 Timothy 8 1 Timothy 1 verse 9 says this, that God saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. Not by our works, not by what we do, but by grace, by what God has done, has, what he's freely chosen to do. What is grace? It's a free gift. This is something that God just chose to do. But wait, there's more. Not only are we no longer enemies, not only are we citizens of heaven now, but Christ gave us something incredible. After ascending, Christ sent us the Holy Spirit, who's forming a new people for God by calling us to respond to the gospel in repentance and faith, who enables us to do that, to to repent by giving us new hearts, who is constantly cleansing us of our former evil allegiances and through whom we have been adopted as sons and daughters of God. Point number four, Jesus has made us children of God. Ephesians 1 has said this, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. We share in Christ's inheritance. The rebel soldiers are now heirs. Do you guys get that? The minions of Satan, us, we are now heirs of heaven. We who were once war captors are heirs of the kingdom. So Jesus defeated Satan, he paid our penalty, he reconciled us with God, he made us children of God. And folks, let me just be clear, this is not a complete list. This is not exhaustive. I, I, I can't even begin to, to exhaust the amount of things that Jesus has done for us. John 21 says this, now there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that could be written. What Jesus did on the cross was of monumental, universe-shaking significance. It changed everything. From the smallest atom to the greatest star, Jesus chose us, he called us, he redeemed us, saved us, justified us, reconciled us, cleansed us, renewed us, adopted us, advocated for us. The list goes on and on and on and on. 
Jesus has done more than we could possibly imagine. He was able to do it because Jesus is the Christ, the son of David, the better Israel, the God-man. And so Bridge, how do we respond to the gospel of Jesus? How does the good news of the gospel become good for us? Number one, repent of your sins. Repent of your sins. In the book of Mark, Jesus, his first words when he comes is, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. The kingdom is here. The true king has come. Not Augustus Caesar, not Pharaoh or the president of the United States. This is a political statement right here. That Christ is king. And this demands a response. It demands repentance. It demands allegiance. Swear allegiance to your true king and turn from your wicked ways. But it actually requires more than this. More than just turning from your evil ways. You need to have faith that Christ can save you. Because you you could stop doing evil, but you still have a debt. You still have a penalty on your head. But Paul says this in Romans. He says, I am not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Cast your faith on the only one who can save you from the wrath of the king. If you are saved, know that your debt has been wiped clean. That on the cross, Christ nailed it there and it is there. None of the devil's accusations hold against you. Christ has, Satan has no power over you anymore. No leverage. He's going to be cast into hell, but you, you will be adopted as an heir to Christ. And so this is you, if you've already done this, if you have repented, if you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, what do you do? Point number three, you know your place in the story. You know where you are in the gospel. You are not simply someone who found a good deal. You didn't get in on Bitcoin early. You are someone who has been transferred from the realm of darkness into the realm of light. You, you are are the end point, the goal of a, a plan that has been formed since before the beginning of time, since the before creation. You're the the one that that God sent his son down to die for, for us, for our sins. Know that. Let the gravity of that sit on you. Whenever you do what you do, do it in the knowledge that Jesus Christ died for you, that you are of ultimate worth and value to him. And if that's the case, if, if, if God cares so much for his creations, for those who bear his image, if he loves us so much, then we ought to share his love. Point number four, we ought to share the gospel. We have to go out there and realize that we are going out into the realm of darkness, into people who are fighting against the one who can save them. And we, we are to give them the good news that they don't have to keep fighting anymore. That they don't have to keep struggling. They don't have to keep thinking that they are worthless. Keep thinking that, that, that there is no hope. 
that there is hope, that there is a light that has shone down into the darkness, that God has made a way for us through his son, Jesus Christ. Bridge, know the gospel. Hold fast to the gospel. I want to take a minute right now, and I want us all to just close our eyes. And worship team, if you could come up. And I want to start by just praying through these things. If you are not a believer, I would ask that you take this time right now to really reflect on the story, on the gospel story. Reflect on your sins. Reflect on the ways that you have rebelled against God and the ways that you reflect our first father and mother. And repent. And Bridge, even if you are a believer, even if you have turned to God, please take this time to repent. If you are still living like a rebel against God, if you are still living in your old ways as the old man, take this time now to repent. Let's take some time to just confess our sins to God and say, God, I don't want to do this anymore, to turn from our sins. Bridge, repent. Our sin is so deep. We've rebelled against you in so many ways. But Lord, your grace is deeper still. In your son, we see just how much you loved us, just how much our sin could not have turned away your love from us. But we thank you for that. God, we, we repent of our sins. We don't want to do them anymore. We don't want to keep living like rebels against you, God. Teach us how we might love you. Not to respond, not as enemies, but as children. God, would you accept our repentance? Would you accept our confession? And show us this week that it has been nailed to the cross, all of our sins, that we don't need to live in this way anymore. Number two, I ask that if you have not placed your faith in Jesus Christ, that you would do that. That you would place all of your hope, all, all, of, all of that, all of that on Christ. This is a reminder to those of us who have already done this before, that we need to constantly be reminding ourselves of this. That we are not saved by our works, we are not saved by what we do, we are saved by Jesus and Jesus alone. Nothing we do can save us except that, except Jesus. But he is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. So take some time right now and say, God, I have faith in Christ. 
I have faith in what he did and not anything that I do. Let's pray. Thank you. Your son has saved us. God, that even though we could turn from our sins as much as we want, even though we could not sin for the rest of our lives, only do good, God, that that wouldn't save us. But in Christ, your son has. Thank you that in him we have hope. In him we don't need to despair. Thank you that you have made a way where there was no way. We thank you for Jesus. And Elbridge, I ask that you would know your place in the story. Bridge, that you would take some time right now and, and reflect on where you are at the end of this glorious plan of salvation and the role that you can play in furthering it and sharing the gospel. And ask God, ask God for opportunities to do that. Ask God to help you realize your, your powerful and, and, and wonderful role in this, that God has commissioned you to be his agents on this earth, to be a part of the gospel now. Take some time to reflect on that, to ask God for opportunities to do that. Lift up those in your life who do not know the gospel. Let's pray. recognize the magnitude of where we are in the story. God, of, of everything that has been done for us and of the task that you have given us. We ask that you, give, you would give us boldness and courage to do this, God, to share the gospel, to be a part of your work on this earth, of bringing about your kingdom, of bringing about the reign of Christ on this earth, proclaiming it to all that the king has come ask that for all those in our lives who do not yet know our King, we ask that you would use us to make him known, to declare the riches of his glory to them. God, would you use us mightily? Would you be with us? In your son's name, amen.